Um, we're really excited when we're first going to be doing this craft, but I have to admit that over the last few days, as we thought about it more, we became a, a little bit <laughs> skeptical about whether or not we should be the ones talking about the subject, because it's quite a big one, because our careers are a very important part of our lives. If you think about it, we spend quite a lot of time at work, and if our careers are not in a very good place, if we're not thriving, it affects all the other areas of our lives, whether or not we want it to, but it will probably affect our spiritual life, to affect our relationships. So this is quite an important um, um, topic to talk about. And so when we, when we thought about it, initially we were thinking, what does it even mean to have a thriving career? What, what, how do you define that? And we thought about it and realized that this is quite subjective. It will depend on who you're asking and what point in their lives they are, whether or not they have kids. So it's a subjective um, topic. So what we decided to do was, rather than come up here and say, okay, these are the things we think you should do to have a thriving career, we're just going to tell you our stories. Um, between the two of us, we have about what, 40 years of career experience. And we feel that if we, if we tell a story that covers 40 years, there is, there is a likelihood that over time, over that period, people would find things that are relevant or useful to them, um, especially if, you, if you're younger in your career. So um, the, two, the stories we're going to share, we haven't rehearsed to each other. And the reason why we did that was we felt like because this is a personal story, it is important to just talk about if we rehearse to each other, then there's that likelihood of each person giving feedback, in which case it's not really a pure story anymore. So um, that's the reason. I did agree with that. But. Yeah, but, <laughs> but then of course, there's also the risk that when I'm sharing my story, okay, might find out that I was made redundant and she didn't know about it. So let's hope that's not the case. So I'm going to start off with my story anyway. So before you start, yeah. maybe we should, because I know I see so many names on here that I don't know. And I think it might be nice to maybe give context of, of who we are, where we're from. And oh yeah, yeah there are some familiar people on there. Thank you, Mark, uh, Marlon, for your session earlier. I, mean, I caught some of it, not everything. So um, my name is Oge, and this is Asagi, my husband. And we're both uh, disciples, part of the Watford Church of Christ. And, you know, you said about 40 years of, of career experience, we've got about 40 years as well of, of being disciples between us. Um, we are parents to two children. We have an 11-year-old uh, daughter called Evie and a nine-year-old son, who we quite very much will not come through those doors during this hour <laughs> with you guys. Um, um, yeah, we've been married for 12 years, 13. 13 years, yeah, and yeah, we've been, we're originally from Nigeria, but we spent most of our adult life, I came here when I was 18, and just like you came here when you were 26. So we do have a blend of like cultural experience as well that, that has shaped our, our lives and our, and our journey so far. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks. I, I had forgotten that, so I was just jumping. 
Um, yeah, so I'll start with my story. So my story starts from when I was about 10, okay? So this is not when my career started, so don't go calling child services. Um, at about 10, when I was about 10, one thing I loved doing was I loved to build things. I, I loved to take toys apart and use the parts to rebuild things. And, and this was something I loved doing. And from that age, it was what I felt I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to get a job where I'll build things and I'll get well paid for it. So this was a simple goal I had. And it somewhat stuck with me throughout um, the process of growing up. So I studied electrical and electronics engineering in university in Nigeria. And when I finished my um, studies, I was lucky to get a very good job. This was a job in, in the oil and gas industry. Now, at that time, this was considered the best job you could have because it paid very well. It gave you a lot of, um, they just threw a lot of things at you. And you're young, I was 24 at that time. It was a very, very, um, it was like a dream come true for me, for people who knew me, for everyone. Not, but something happened in my first week on that job that I wish I had understood it more. It probably would have changed a lot of things I did afterwards. So in my first um, week, during the orientation, I met one of the um, technical managers and I don't know what, what brought it up, but in his conversation, he said, Osage, I hope that you know that no matter how much we pay you on this job, you can never be rich. And I didn't understand that. I felt like, what is this man saying? I was 24, he was probably in his 40s. I felt, oh, maybe he's bitter about something and he's trying to push down his negative experiences on, on me and I'm not accepting that. So. I didn't make much of it. And as expected, the first few months of this job was flying around the world for training courses, all expense paid, living in very expensive apartments. So it was like, not only were they paying a lot of money, they weren't even letting you spend the money, they were spending money for you. So it was, it was a very good job from that point of view. But after a few months when all the excitement of getting so much money settled, I realized it wasn't really what I loved. I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And the reason for this was because I felt I always wanted to a job where I could build things. But on this particular job, what I was doing was, it wasn't even, in my opinion then anyway, it wasn't much of engineering. I, I felt I didn't even get an engineering degree to do it. And this made me started getting frustrated. So even though the pay was very good, I felt frustrated. And then after a year, I made perhaps the most radical decision I ever made in my career, I decided to quit. Okay, but now it wasn't just um, a radical one afternoon send an email, I quit. It was calculated to an extent. So uh, in the one year I had gotten some experience of the types of jobs that would allow me be creative. So I knew the types of jobs and I knew I needed to study a bit more. So I spent another one year to, to, to save up money and study. And that's why I came to the UK. So I came to the UK to, to get a master's. And after my studies, I got a job with a um, company called Motorola. The older guys would know Motorola, right? And this was a job to, to build software for car engines. And for me, this was a dream come true because it was what I always wanted. So I, on my job, I, I was, my job was writing software for BMW engines and Jaguar engines. And it was just perfect for me. 
But then this job had a problem. And the problem this job had was that while it was what I really loved doing, the job didn't pay well. And someone had told me that if you want to know whether or not you want to stay with a career, look at people who are about three or four positions ahead of you and check if that's how, where you want to be in three or four positions up. And I looked at that, I felt, no, this is not where I want to be. And there were restrictions on how far you could grow in that job. It was high tech, but there were quite a lot of restrictions on, on pay and all of that. And so this was very frustrating for me. But then I couldn't just resign like I did on my first job because now I was in the UK and I had a work permit. And having a work permit meant that you couldn't, you couldn't just change jobs. You need to find a company who will sponsor you. So I felt stuck after a year. I started feeling frustrated because it was what I loved, but it wasn't paying me well. But then luckily, after two years, this problem was solved for me. And it was solved because Motorola in the UK decided to seize their operations and then we all got made redundant. So I got fired from the job like everyone else. So that now gave me an opportunity to start. But then the, the challenge with that was that because I was on a work permit, I had only um, four weeks to look for another job or I had to be sent back to Nigeria. So it meant I didn't have much flexibility. I had to take the first job that came. So the first job that came was a job in software testing. Now, software testing career is a very, very, it's a good career um, path. But because it wasn't what I loved, I didn't like it. And, um, sorry, because it wasn't what I wanted to do, I, I felt frustrated. But even worse, the job didn't pay well. So this is my third career stint. Um, I'm now doing what I don't love and I'm not getting well paid. And a lot of things just went down for me at that stage. This was probably the worst phase of my career. Um, I felt really frustrated on the job. And then for some reason that affected my financial life. My finances just went really bad. I became quite deeply in debt at this time. And I tried, I realized that there were good opportunities in software testing. So I tried to do professional courses, but because I didn't want to do testing, I, I just couldn't go follow through on it. So at some point I just called myself that, okay, I need to get my life together. I need to, to sort myself out because everything else was falling apart. So I decided to train myself on the type of software that was relevant then. And then I applied for a new type of job, which was this time the company called Qualcomm. Now with this job, it was perfect for me. It was the type of um, job where I got to write mobile application software, but it wasn't mobile apps because there were no mobile apps then. This was actually writing the operating system for mobile phones. So this was a dream job for me and it paid well and it had a very good career path. So it was also around that time I was dating Oge. So I felt my life was finally coming back together. Everything was going quite well and it was all good. And on this job, they would give us one day off to just build anything we like. So it was a perfect job for me. Now, the only problem with this job was the year in which I had the job. So it was in 2007 and 2008. And of course in 2008 was the financial crisis. And um, just after I got married, came back from Nigeria, a month later, a lot of companies were, were stopping the operations and I got made redundant. So this time, 
finally got a job I love, but then I got made redundant and then I was back to starting again. But luckily I didn't have the restrictions on, on working um, because I was now against dependent. So I had quite some flexibility. So, and a lot had changed in, in the industry at the time. So this was a time where there was, um, the, the iPhone had come out and there was this new wave of mobile applications. So I learned how to write mobile applications and over a period of six months, I eventually got, the, got a job because um, it, was, it was difficult. There was a challenge of the chicken and egg because most people didn't have the experience. You needed the experience to get a job, but then you needed the job to get the experience. Mm -hmm. So um, what I tried to do then was I wrote a small application on my phone and then when I went for job interviews, I would show that on, on the interview and say, this is what I've done. So this job was very good because um, it was a new field. So it paid quite well. And it was what I loved doing, building products, um, what I wanted to do. So it was quite a very good phase. And this is the phase I'm in, in my career now. Now, the, the only thing that changed was that because I, I was now married and we're starting a family, I realized that life had created a new important requirement for, for my career. And this new important um, requirement was, was having time. So it wasn't just enough to have a job that paid well and where I did what I loved doing. It was quite important for me to have time to invest in, in my family relationships and relationship with my, my kids. And at this phase now, it's the phase, like I said, I'm in, in my career. I feel like I'm constantly in this phase where I'm trying to realign my childhood dreams of, of being creative at work with the realities of adulthood. Now, what are the lessons I've learned? So if I go back and look back 20, um, 22 years, um, I'll say a few things that I've learned in my career. The first one is it's, it was important for me to have a clear goal of what I wanted. Now, having a clear goal, my goal was very simple. I wanted a job where I could be creative, right? And, and for me, having a clear goal made it like a very good compass to judge whether or not I was in the right job. Because every time I, I was on a job, it was, it was obvious after a while, after the initial excitement of getting a new job died down, if it was what I wanted. So the first one, good job, good money, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I, wasn't, I didn't have any stability. The second one was, it was what I wanted to do. It didn't pay well, wasn't good. And then the third one, it wasn't what I loved and it didn't pay well. And then of course, now it's, it's with this third requirement of, of having, um, having time. But it was just important. I feel it's important to have a clear goal because that will always reorient you when you, you're, you're losing track. And because career, is such a, a deep and important part of our life. There are times you forget the goal, like with that third job, there were times I forgot and I was wondering why my life seemed so unstable. But then when I eventually tried to think about, okay, this is the reason you're spending eight hours at work every day and you're just frustrated. So you need to make those moves to change. Now, the second thing I learned is that sometimes it is important to 
to sacrifice what is ideal for what something that is close enough to the ideal. And what do I mean? The ideal job in terms of what I did was actually my job with Motorola because I like to call it my first love. It was building software and hardware. Yeah, um, <laughs> second love, absolutely. Um, it, was building, it was building software and hardware and it's things like robotics. That's an area I really, really love doing. It's what I love to do as a kid. But then when I realized that there were restrictions on how far I could go, to go in that path, it was important to ask, okay, what's the next best thing? And the next best thing was, okay, rather than this low-level software, as it's called, why not move to mobile applications where you have more career options? And it's, 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 it's like 80% of the excitement. But it was important to, to do that shift because if I did it, then I'll be stuck. And, and the, in my mind, it feels like there's an there could be an element of pride where it's like, this is what I love doing. I'm going to stick with it. But then you need to remember that <laughs> there's a network of people around you that this could affect. So, um, so that's the second thing, a shift from the ideal. And then the second, the third one is one where I feel it's important to take steps to, to, to retrain yourself and stay relevant um, from time to time. In my career, I feel there's been three times I've had to do major retraining to stay relevant because partly because it's technology, like when I was in um, Qualcomm, the job I did where I was writing operating system doesn't even exist anymore because you don't have Nokia phones anymore and things have moved on, right? So it is important. And this, this one makes me just think of, like my pro, when I think of my career, one, one book in the Bible that really helps me, that, that gives me real practical experience is the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs 22, verse 29, it says, do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of lower rank. So what I learned is when you, when you keep yourself relevant, it does open up a lot of opportunities for you. And, and that can be the difference in a lot of cases. Um, another verse that I find very useful is Proverbs 24, verse 33. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And this is what I felt in my third job because I became so lazy in, in trying to get myself back in order. I wasn't well paid, it wasn't a good career, and I just went into spending money on credit cards. My discipline level had, had gone down. So this was the, the third lesson for me. Now, the fourth and final lesson for me is that as you grow older in your career, there might be that important need to make adjustments for the realities of adulthood. So for a long time, before when it was just me, it was I wanted a job that paid well and I did what I loved. But now I have this, this new important um, requirement of connecting with my family, right? And connecting with my kids. And the, the, this is important because if you don't have that, then everything else just fills into its insignificance. And it's an area I feel I really haven't figured out yet right because it's just chilling because if you want more time you might have to sacrifice what you earn and then 
how do you keep the balance of paying the bills? So that is, that is one challenge. But that brings me back to the beginning of, of my talk about um, welfare. This was the engineering manager who told me, you can be rich working for us, no matter how much we pay you. And what he actually meant then was that when you're working for any organization, or there's always a trap of not getting to the point where you have um, financial security. Now, money is important because it can, it can give you some flexibility. So when I think of what I'm doing now, right, um, one of the challenges is that, okay, if, if um, I'm now in senior management, so that means you get a bit more money, but then you're not really working nine to five. You're spending a lot of extra hours. If you were to, to give that up, then there'll be real challenges, real practical challenges of not being able to pay bills and all of that. So if I had known what that meant when he said it, I probably would have made more efforts earlier in, the, in my career, and this is not financial advice or anything. I, I probably would have made more effort earlier in my career to take steps towards having some form of financial um, independence and such that in the later stages, there will be some flexibility of not having to do a nine to five and just having that flexibility where I can have a balanced family life balanced Christian life without this constant real push of the mortgage bills are up, um, the childcare bills. So um, this is pretty much um, what I've learned in the last 22 years. And um, yeah, thank you for listening. One thing I forgot at the start was that, was to tell you the structure we had in mind. So the structure we had was that I'll, I'll talk about my story and then we'll leave the meeting open for about 10 minutes, sorry, five minutes, sorry, I've spoken a bit longer, um, just for a few questions. And then Oge would um, also share her story and then we'll have a few more questions. So we'll just leave it open for, I'm so sorry, I took a bit more time. That's yeah. Um, so I yeah, perfect. I, I just, I'll just start by saying thanks. That was, that was so helpful to just uh, listen to you speak. And um, just hearing somebody else's story helps you reflect both on kind of like, yeah, that's a helpful way to think about the future, but also um, just to kind of reflect on things we can relate on and feelings. I know Agnes was like, oh, I can really relate to that. And just sometimes hearing somebody else say, you know, earlier in your career, you had many times where you felt unsatisfied. It's helpful because it feels like, okay, well, we're only 26, 25 Maybe we're going to have another few years of feeling unsatisfied, but you know, let's uh, let's keep going and and hope that something comes. But anyway, I just want to thank you for for speaking, and uh, it's very very relatable. Um, also, if anybody has to has any questions, they'd rather put on the chat box. Do that. We'll monitor that, and we can read them out. Um, yeah. Okay, I, I have a question for Sandy because I really just heard. <laughs> um, I. I he didn't run this by me before sharing it. And I, I really liked the points that you made where you talked about having another requirement when looking for a, a satisfying career, and that is um, around time. And 
this is a real struggle. It has been a real struggle for, for, for I guess, us for, for a long time. So this question is not only to Osaga, it's to everybody. If, if there is any, like, any workarounds that people have or anything that help them, helps them really to think about how do I balance having time, especially people who have got uh, family, you know, children, spouses, how do I balance the time that I put into the work that I'm doing and the time that I put, I give to, to my family and, and also the time that I give to God and the church community and things like that. So I, I think that is a very um, good question to ask ourselves from time to time. And I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, so like I said, I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, we'll keep searching. <laughs> I, I have a question. Um, I found this very relatable since I'm just in the start of my career and I think I relate a lot to the beginning of your journey of like having a good job. I'm not sure if you actually love what you're doing. Um, and I think I'm just trying to figure out the balance of where do you just like deny yourself because it's a good job and you have to be responsible. And if you want to plan for a family, then like you want to have a good foundation and where do you actually just follow your dreams and and just like take risks or have faith. You know, some people are just like, okay, I'm just gonna go in faith and follow my dreams and it might be risky, but I rely on God. And some people are more like, no, it's more responsible of me, even as a Christian to just like, I can give more to the church if I make more money and I can be more just given, I guess, financially if I am responsible. Um, so I just wonder how do you like try to figure out that balance between those two things. Yeah. So for me, I think the, I, I was lucky in some ways because I got made redundant a few times and that was the push that, that just got me out there. Um, but it's a very difficult problem. It's difficult because on one hand, you, you don't want to be responsible and have a job and just throw it away. But what I found, right, and it might not be applicable, was that because you spend so much time, like in my second job where I was doing what I loved, but it didn't pay well, my productivity eventually dropped. And I remember my manager calling me into the office and saying, when we got you in, you were so promising and, and all of that, what's happened? I just realized that it's, it slowly creeps at your soul, if I can use that. It slowly eats, eats you away. Well, that's what happened to me. And that was the case even with a good job. Like people called me and said, are you stupid? Why would you quit a job like this in Nigeria back then? When people, there are 100 people out there waiting to get the same job. So I think what helped me, like I said, was, okay, having that clear goal of this is what I want, and then I wasn't irresponsible in quitting from any of my jobs. I, I looked at what I wanted and then I looked for resources that would help me prepare towards that. So, and that helped me. Like one thing I have used recently that's helped me a lot is Coursera. 
So I don't actually have to go to a real university, but there are a lot of courses there. So I decided, okay, this is what I want to do. And this is what I did with mobile applications as well. It takes time, but in that period, you stay with it. And I think as Christians, it's, it's important that we are responsible when we're doing whatever we're doing, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, do it properly while you're there. But I just realized staying, staying there thinking um, it would change, the emotions wouldn't change. I eventually became complacent. So I don't know if that answers the question, but, uh, but yeah, just as a summary, having that clear goal and taking steps you need while you're still doing the job because it plays a role, right? Yeah, thanks. That's really helpful. Okay. okay. Cool. So I'll, I'll share my, my own thoughts. As um, So like Osage said, there are so many things that um, people will, will, will say is a contributing factor to having a thriving career. You know, we've talked about having a, something that's well-paying, something that you love to do, something that's meaningful. People might even add to that list something that's you know gives you the kind of challenge you want. Some people might think about something that is so easy you could do with your eyes closed as being, you know, a, a factor for having a thriving career. Well, the more I thought about this, actually, I, I thought. The, the most or the biggest contributing factor is actually you as a person. And when I say you as a person, it's what you bring to that career. But because, you know, all our behavior, all our actions, you know, really stem from what we believe, I want to start there. It's, it's more about your belief system and your mindset. So that's where I, I really want to start. So um, when I, I grew up in Nigeria, like you said, um, in Nigeria, parents have like really high career expectations for their children. Really high um, career expectations. So you're either becoming a doctor, <laughs> an engineer, a lawyer, or you know, I mean, being a pharmacist is a nice close second to being a doctor, being an accountant, you know, you're doing money. Those are the, the careers that are highly prestigious and, um, you know, what people strive for in, in that culture. And subconsciously, you know, I, I'm saying our parents had those, those expectations. Subconsciously, I invite them as well for myself, to be honest. And it just goes to show that if you're around something long enough, it has an impact on you. So, you know, I, I also have a dreams of maybe becoming a lawyer one day, but cut a long story short, I found myself coming to the UK. I got a degree in publishing studies, which I don't know if it still exists anymore. Then I got a postgraduate uh, certification in education and I began my career as a primary school teacher. So think about, you know, the subconscious beliefs I've had about prestigious careers and then the career that I began in. I didn't realize at the time that it was playing on, on, my, on my mind or it was affecting the way that I approached my career, but in hindsight, I, I feel like it did. 
okay? So in, in education, when you begin uh, your career in education, you qualify, then you have to go through one year of probation where you know, you're observed doing your teaching, you have to meet certain standards before you then get what is known as the qualified teacher status. Now, my probation year, to say, to, to put it mildly, was a very, very difficult year for me. I struggled because I was new to the profession. I, had, I didn't have experience. Everything I thought I'd learned theoretically was just playing out very differently in the classroom. I don't know if there are any teachers on here, but you know, you learn about that. the three streams of differentiation. You go into a class and you realize there can be about 20. You know, I was struggling managing behavior. I was also struggling to an extent with the, um, with the lack of cultural experience as well. Bear in mind that I didn't go to school here. I went to school in Nigeria and I've come here and I'm trying to, be, to you know, teach in this culture. So it really was, was a, a trying time for me. And I remember the time when my assistant head teacher called me into her office, like we normally do for our performance meetings. And she said to me that, um, okay, I don't think you're going to pass this probation year. And this was in the, um, I think it was this, the spring half term. I think she said this to me, or summer, summer mid half term. I don't think you're going to pass this probation year if you don't change certain things very quickly. So when I sat there, I felt like my world was crashing down on me. I couldn't believe that, you know, my first job was not going well. I really felt like a failure. I felt so much shame. And just sitting there talking to her, I realized that I needed to make a decision. Do I stick with somebody who at that point didn't believe I was going to pass and stay there and hope for the best? Or do I just take my chances and, and leave? And so I did. I took my chances and I left that job, left that school, and I decided to find another school where I could um, have a chance of passing my probation year. So that was a bold step, but all the while I was like emotionally down. I felt like a failure. I felt ashamed. I felt like, you know, like I said to you before, the subconscious belief that this isn't a prestigious career, then compounded by the fact that you're not even doing well at this career, <laughs> that's not prestigious. I felt really, was it quite a low point in my life? And it made me realize something. It made me realize that I had connected my self-worth so strongly to the career that I was, I was uh, in. And that is a dangerous thing to do, I would say, to connect your self-worth to, to external things that, are change, that can change. Because, you know, when things were going well, I remember when I first got the job, I was like almost like the star of the show. Maybe I was the, um, they, they weren't so diverse in that community. I was in the newspaper. It was so brilliant. And then when things weren't going well, I felt so embarrassed. And you know how we are like in social settings, we talk to people. One of the first questions we ask people is, what do you do? And when I felt like I couldn't answer that question confidently, I just felt this small. So even that experience taught me that, okay, I shouldn't attach myself worth so strongly to something like this. And I shouldn't also view other people and, and how I, sh I shouldn't let my view of other people also be attached to things 
in this way. And something simple as, you know, when you meet people for the first time, asking them, what do you do? It's not a bad question, but I think maybe we can do better. We can, we can be more um, expansive and ask people, to tell me about yourself and let them tell you about themselves. Because I realize that what we, who we are is a lot more, so much more than what we are doing at that time, whether it's a job role, whether it's a, I don't know, a, a role that you're playing in your career or something, you're so much more than that. And I remember like having to really go back to what does God think about me? You know, and I know quite a lot of us are disciples on here and the Bible is full of so many scriptures that tell you how God sees you. That reminds us that we should not regard people from the worldly perspective, but see them as God sees them. But I think we can even strip it right back to the basic. We are worthy because we were created by God. Everybody on the planet is actually worthy because they were made by God. And God made us in his image and he described everything he made as very good. And that's, I think, a very good foundation to go back to and we need to go back to it and we're not always going to remember it because in your career, you're probably going to be made redundant. You're probably going to be go for a job interview. You're not going to get it. You're probably going to make a very costly mistake, you know, an embarrassing mistake. I don't want these things to happen to you, but it could happen. And if these things happen to us, we need to be grounded in the fact that they will not, they don't define us, not in that arrogant way. Oh, I'm bigger than this. This doesn't define me. No but in a way of knowing that your worth is tied to who God says you are, that frees you up to learn from these bad experiences or these low lights, these low points in your life. It frees you up to take lessons from them and be able to move forward. Because I know that when I was filled with the shame and the embarrassment and the, the feeling of being a failure, I couldn't see clearly what had gone wrong. And because I couldn't see clearly what had gone wrong, I couldn't then make the moves to correct them. It was only later in hindsight that I realized, okay, maybe I approached this job in a way that wasn't wholehearted because of those subconscious beliefs I had about it. Maybe I wasn't open enough to ask for help. So in my, in my teaching career, I made a point of it, but learning from that experience to be open to ask for help to seek out people who are masters at their craft, ask them, what do you do? How did you do this? What? I was open enough to start doing that. I began to be more creative rather than, okay, yeah, this is how thinking, okay, this is the only one way of doing it. Trying to figure out different ways of doing it. And I'm pleased to say that I did obviously move on to another school. I did pass my probation and I managed to enjoy like 15 years of a, of a career as a, as a teacher and it taught me so much i think like i say it's, we're much more than that but it does it does teach us a lot of things that we can bring to other parts of our of our life so for me i think that was like the act one of my my career and the lessons i learned i learned i was very lucky to learn them early enough Okay, and that was, you know, your self-belief and your self-worth should be tied to who God says you are, not to changeable things. 
And this can be applied to many things. It can be applied to um, even um, roles that you play at church. That, that, that should not be the determinant of your self-worth. It should be attached to you know, your status, whether you're single, you're married. Those shouldn't be the determinant of your self-worth. It should be it, who God sees you as. So um, after about 15 years of, of teaching, I decided I wanted to change. So I was, I was thinking about what do I do next? It had been on my heart for a while and I wasn't such a good planner like Osage, but I just took the plunge and I, and I left my teaching job and I thought I would take some time to think about what my next move was gonna be. And then, then came fears, you know, fear of the unknown, fear of what if I fail, fear of what if this is a mistake. I started feeling all those things and I realized that I had to again remember what the scripture says, that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of, of, of love, of power, and of a sound mind, and that that was how I was, I should, that should equip me to tackle this. So, you know, where I felt unqualified, I decided, let me go and get qualifications. Where I felt inexperienced, I decided, let me try and get this experience. And one of the great things about, um, this transition and this change that I made was also the fact that at this point in my life, I had so many connections. You know, we're building connections every day. We've got connections in church, we've got connections in every um, job that we've worked in. And I realized that th those connections can be so, so powerful. I got my first break into the, my new career in, in business improvement from somebody who I had helped get a, a house to rent. So I give this example because I know that we hear the word networking a lot as something that you go out and you, you know, you do it to get something. But one of the lessons I learned is that networking is, is a two-way street. You get and you also give. And a lot of the, the good connections that I have or I've benefited from, when I look behind them, it's usually where those kind of connections I have also put something into. So like I said to you, I got my first break from somebody who, who had helped and, um, get a, a house to rent. I got the role that I'm in now by recommendation because I'd worked with somebody they knew and they just thought that, you know, by extension, I would be a good fit because I'd worked with that person. So the point I want to make around this is, is that, you know, connections are powerful, but also the, the, you know, I talked about beliefs, yeah? And then I, also, I want to also link it to the actions and the behaviors that we, we display, you know, wherever we are, you know, they, they impact on, that, um, on those connections that we have. They say that, you know, your, your actions and behaviors are what will speak for you when you are no longer in the room. And I think that's such a powerful thing to remember. And to, to know that you, you don't just do things when people can see you doing them, you know, and I think about that scripture of in Colossians that says, you know, we should work as if we're working for the Lord. So in my, in my kind of second act of my career, I realized that these things were important, that keeping your values, yeah, what you believe ends up being how you behave, ends up influencing what you do, which ends up creating a picture or, or an impression of you, growing your connections, keeping and building them, giving as well, not just wanting to take. 
they're very, very helpful because you never know when you're going to need that person. You never, you never know when you're going to need someone's help. So in whatever environment we are, somebody, you know, we, we talk about being, your family being a ministry. Your job, your career is also a ministry. And so when I go into a, a, a situation, if I go into a role, if I go into any career, I always think about how do I honor God in this place? You know, and sometimes it's difficult because sometimes around you, many people are doing things that don't honor God. And, it, and you need to almost set yourself apart. And trust me, it pays off. You know, God sees it for sure. And God sees where we're going in, in, and, and prepares the way for us. You know, I think about my teaching career where in the classroom, you know, you're bound by time. You need to be at this place at this time to teach your pupils because they're waiting for you. And then I've gone into a different career where it's a little bit more flexible, you know. Nobody's really saying, oh, why are you not in that class at that time teaching? Because it's a different environment. You just need to deliver your work. And I used to see a lot of people around me you know, really maybe abusing that freedom, you know, not putting in the time, clocking off at this time, doing this or doing that. And the temptation to do that was, was really strong because nobody's going to come and tell you off. I had to always remind myself that God is watching me and I'm here to honor God as well. And I'm here to give the value that I'm being paid for and I shouldn't abuse that freedom. So that's just a, a, one example of you know, sometimes it, what you what you believe or what you value could be um, you could be tempted to to move away from that, depending on on the environment that you are. But remember that we what what we do honors God. And then finally, the one thing that I wish that I did early in my career was to be was to plan. You know, I was I'm not a great planner for long term. I'm good at planning short term. I can plan a day out very well, but long term, I, it was really difficult for me. I didn't like to hear that question, where do you see yourself in five years? I felt that there was too much pressure around that question. And what if I say something and it doesn't materialize and you know, then I look like a fool and things like that. Those were my, my beliefs around that. However, what I realized is that if you don't actually plan, you get tossed around or life just pushes you in one way or the other and then you get left with very little choice. So um, I, I think now differently about that. I think that it's, it's really important to ask yourself that question, where do you want to be? So that you can, like Osaka was saying, you can sense check where you are. Is it taking me where I want to be? You can sense check, is, should I go here? But is, it, does it fit in line with where I want to be? So they're really, really, really good questions to ask. So to, to just end it up, I want to leave room for question. I, I would say, examine your beliefs about yourself. I would say, examine your, um, really work out to grow your connections. Examine your beliefs about fear and failure and, and success. Because for me, what I saw as failure then was not really failure with the, with the lens that I see now. If you hear so many famous uh, people's stories about their failures and their mistakes, that was the actual fuel that led to their success. I was looking through some examples, and, and James Dyson, for example, who, who invented the vacuum cleaner that's so expensive and very popular, he tried 5,000 plus prototypes over 15 years before he came to that one. 
So again, examine your, your beliefs about failure, royal connections, plan, and most of all, know that this is, you know, you're made in God's image. He's looked at you. You are very good is what he says. He's given us everything in life. And we can, as long as we lay our plans before him, there is nothing that we won't be able to do. So that's where I want to leave it with you guys today. And I would love if you have any questions. I see some things in the chat. Thank you. Thank you.